you got me. I already said all the good stuff I was going to say. I have some uh, leaked insider info about the KJJ situation that I will not be sharing on the air. So, mm, yeah, yeah, it's it's really tragic that I always just hit the record button a, a couple seconds too late to, late to get the best stuff. But <laughs> that's how it goes. Um, Top five Notre Dame. <laughs> how are we feeling? <laughs> I mean, I, I think I. It was really hard to draw conclusions from that game because, like, of course, I'm tempted to slander. My initial big mood was going to be slandering CJ Stroud of that offense. I decided to keep my powder dry. I, I saw I, the change in the in the podcast <laughs> notes. They changed dramatically this afternoon. <laughs> I have some takes about like Stroud, about that offense, about Day as an offensive guy, and about where college football is now and how it's different from like 2018, 2019. I'm going to keep my powder dry on those takes until they're more relevant. Like basically until Michigan actually plays like a decent passing spread, which will not be for a while. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it, for a long time. Might might be good to let Ohio State settle into the season a little bit too. I, I still have uh, memories of talking a little bit too much after they lost to Virginia Tech that one year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we all do that. I, I think though that like part of my deep theory of Michigan fandom now is we like I would say most signs point to the program just getting a little bit better so we can talk a little bit more shit and not act like it's impossible for us to beat Ohio State anymore. But that might be a good segue to uh, us talking about the game that actually happened where we flattened somebody. Oh, right. That is true. That's correct. Welcome to the Bucket Problem, episode 57. I am your host, Ace Ambender, and you have already heard Connor Southard and Taylor Fulton join me as uh, co-hosts. We are presented, as always, by Home Field Apparel and Points Bet. We are a proud member of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, and we are a Meet at Midfield production. Final score of Michigan's opening game, 51-7 to in favor of the Wolverines over Colorado State. Total yardage was 440 to 219, and to be frank, I was surprised it was that close when I looked at the box score. Uh, this this was a pasting. Uh, this uh, this looked good for the most part. There were a couple of minor sketchy moments on offense, but uh, we will we will surely surely get into that, especially as it relates to the quarterback competition. But for the moment, hard not to feel pretty good about just hitting the ground running. And uh, Michigan certainly did that in, against a team that they were expected to handle pretty easily, but they also uh, pretty easily covered the spread, which is uh, generally a sign that you did all right in week one. And uh, I'm going to throw it over to Connor for his uh, week one big move, because I think it's the most uh, the most pumped up and relevant here now that you've... Uh, set aside your your cj stroud takes for the time being <laughs> i will tell you all the truth about cj stroud some other time <laughs> um but i think what was what stood out to me in this game the most is that michigan's defense looked exceptionally sharp and well coached and what do i mean by that i mean they tackled well they got off blocks well they knew where they were supposed to be every aspect of their fundamentals was good they had a good feel for the game uh, you know you have to react on defense so that's important so i actually buy a lot of the minter hype i think he is doing a, just a good job with these guys from everything that i can tell um and that's huge and there's like really a deeper lesson there in how we make inferences in sports which is it's tempting with a game like this to say okay colorado state's bad of course, Michigan flattened them. You can't draw any conclusions from that. You kind of can, though, right? Because like, if you do something consistently and dominantly against weaker opponents, 
you can probably do it to some extent against better opponents. And that is, in fact, why we gather data from all of the games that happen. Um, <laughs> oh, do we ever? <laughs> yeah, right. And like why it like it does matter. The defense looks ready to go because like we've all seen talented Michigan teams. I think of the 2019 team, for instance, a very talented team that underachieved very frustratingly. Like they didn't look ready to go to start the season. Not at all. Like they you know, famously struggled out of the gate. Um and I've seen that over and over again from Michigan. I've seen it from other good programs. Um, so coming out looking sharp is actually huge uh, and speaks very well of the talent on the team and the coaching that's been going on. So that's all. The vibes are very good there. And I just briefly want to say um, it suggests something that I thought would happen with this defense, which is we've focused a lot on the departure of like, you know, a generational talent and Aiden Hutchinson and a couple other guys and losing them hurts, but I think a couple other under- first rounders. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we lost some <laughs> I mean, really good defensive players. Not, let's not take away from those guys, but yes, I, I know what you're getting at here. Yeah. I mean, that's huge, but I also just think like, you know, Michigan has, you know, gotten some really nice, like I, there's re- a lot of re- talent. <laughs> there's a lot of talent, both recruiting and development. And some of these guys are serious blue chippers. Some of them are more in that kind of 3.5 star, low four star wheelhouse that Michigan does really, really well in. But I think if you look it up and down this defense, you've got guys like uh, DJ Turner, Rod Moore, Mike Morris, Mozzie Smith, uh, Junior Colson, and the list is, it goes on. But like, those are all guys that have a very good chance to be among the very few best guys in the conference of their position. And some of them have a chance to be the best in the conference at their position. And I think we have some real dudage, and I think we're already seeing that in a very tangible way. Colorado State certainly would agree with you there. <laughs> and their offensive line and uh, Clay Millen in particular, that that guy's got to be uh, sore. I, I'm, I'm leaning towards sore. Uh, uh, I'm going to hit my big mood because Taylor's is more about the uh, college football world writ large, uh, which is obviously uh, in the in the wake of this game, uh, we're we're gonna get into the the quarterback discourse uh, and all that comes with it, but JJ McCarthy pretty clearly outplayed Cade McNamara in this game. Uh, that much I, I think is pretty obvious. In in his post game comments, Cade McNamara came off as rather salty and also a little dismissive about the whole quarterback competition thing. I don't know whether there was some Instagram shade or whether that was just JJ McCarthy being himself. That I try not to read into these things too much um i shouldn't have even mentioned it but um you saw an instagram thing i didn't see i am so intrigued now but please go on uh it was about it was about letting go of your ego and yeah uh, it was a weird like it was one of those like meme cartoons that you see um like on the wall of like your office building like those like inspirational like teamwork pass it on sort of things um but it was he was talking about himself very centered if he was talking about Cade McNamara maybe a little less centered (laughs) maybe not the real intention of the cartoon but I'm not sure that's a non-thing but anyway (laughs) I mean but but this is what I'm trying to say like this is what happens at the highest level football programs like good younger players sometimes overtake older starters and people's feelings get hurt and pressers get messy and you get uh, you know, Instagram stories that may or may not be throwing shade at other people in the position room. Who knows? Um, and it's fine. Like we're, we know what Michigan has in, in McNamara. That's a baseline level of play that can get Michigan to the playoff. He just got significantly outplayed by somebody in a way that very much opens up the offense. I'm sure he's angry about it. I'm glad he's pissed about it because otherwise 
I would question his competitive spirit, which would be a strange thing to do about uh, Cade McNamara. And I think McCarthy is similarly wired. And at some point, someone's feelings are going to get pretty hurt when the starter is picked. And I think everybody has to accept that. And uh, especially since uh, not, uh, I don't want to overreact to one game, but it looks like we might have the quarterback get supplanted here. And there will be some messiness, but if you look at programs that have won national titles recently, there's been a lot of messiness at quarterbacks. So I think this is just what happens at high level programs and I'm okay with it. I also just very quickly want to add that I, uh, um, someone posted in one of our group chats that Michigan opened as a 46 point favorite over Hawaii. And I opened up DraftKings to see what their opening line was and Michigan's favored by 50 over Hawaii. So, uh, that's quite a line, uh, for week two, no matter how bad Hawaii is, if you're favored by 50 over anybody, you probably have a pretty good football team. Taylor, what's your big mood? Hi, what's up? Um, so first of all, I will say Instagram drama is still drama. It's still important. Um, I would, I, uh, actually had to check what I was writing for um, the game review at meetatmidfield.com, which you should read. Um, yes. I actually noticed that he had not deleted it. So I was kind of thinking like, oh, hey, maybe he'd like threw a little bit out there and then decided to delete it. No, he kept it up. So I love that. Good for, good for you, JJ. Talk your shit. Um, anyway, um, I'm just looking nationally because I watched um, an ungodly amount of college football. And I will say I tweeted that Notre Dame's defense was bad. And I would like to walk that back a little bit. Um, I actually think that um, I'm not going to apologize for my comments in any way. You'll never see a notes app apology from me on this subject. But I do think that Ohio State had a slow start is the way I would put it. Ohio State was very slow um, in the beginning. Didn't really seem to know what to do when Smith and Jigba got hurt. So you're saying Ohio State got exposed on (laughs) off. (laughs) <laughs> sorry yeah sorry, keep going. i'm walking My myself <laughs> i'm walking my, i'm walking myself from one bad take into another um just a lot of like freezing cold takes that they're going to come find at the end of the season i think notre dame actually showed us exactly who they are i don't think they were a top five team to begin with writ large but that's a different story you've heard me yell about it um but i think Ohio State's defense is pretty, pretty legit. I think we all kind of came to that conclusion, whether on the internet, talking to other people, et cetera, um, that Jim Knowles put together a really nice defense that not that Notre Dame's defense offense was very good either, um, was pretty much outclassed the entire game. Um, So I I, I just do want to walk that back um, just a touch because maybe Notre Dame's defense isn't bad but perhaps Ohio state is actually um, the team that we thought they'd be, but they were just maybe a couple quarters later to the game than we expected. Um, And just very briefly, again, in my 13 hours of watching college football, um, what happened with UTSA in Houston and Utah and Florida, that's why people like college football. We can have an argument here, there, wherever about where you land on college football, the playoff, the BCS, whatever um that's good and that discourse can happen on another podcast or elsewhere Mm -hmm. or it's far away from me but like games like that utsa and houston going to three overtimes and going into like the two overtime the two-point conversion shootout and then utah just that awful throw at in the red zone 
um, ceiling floor just win. That that's the stuff that people love. Like that is why people watch college football. You are always going to have these weird things happen. And yes, Georgia, Oregon was not a great example of college football's um, most most impressive showings, especially when you see quote unquote two ranked teams uh, playing against each other. But that's why it's really important to watch all of college football and not just what you think or what national media thinks is the best game or the best set of scenarios because sometimes like Notre Dame and Ohio State or Georgia Oregon you'll be disappointed but other times you will not be so that is my case for just riding out the vibes for college football um, I didn't realize do that yeah I didn't realize Patrick Mayhorn had joined uh, our <laughs> podcasting crew. Uh, watch all of college football. That's actually, I, I appreciate that advice as someone who often finds himself watching the University of Wyoming Cowboys, who did beat Tulsa in a shootout yesterday. Um, but I, I also, very briefly, I just want to say I was skeptical of Utah's ranking. I feel vindicated uh, once again um, that they're not maybe actually, you know, a, a true playoff contender. I also want to say, I understand where Taylor's coming from. She's being very reasonable. My job is to not be reasonable. And in the cases of both Notre Dame and Ohio State, you do not under any circumstances have to hand it to them. It's true. You can just say both teams were bad, but <laughs> that's it's, fair. It's sometimes, no, I... good to, it's sometimes good to avoid that instinct or it's say both teams were anything after week one. Uh, Cause uh, <laughs> Yeah, we've, those seen, are two we've seen some teams. misleading things before. In, I think in it's. The I think it's football. kind of fair. I think it's a little bit fair to say both those teams were, you know, kind of bad last night in that way that they can that you know t- good teams playing each other can be kind of bad when they meet. Like I've seen Michigan <laughs> play some hideous <laughs> games against other good sure. teams at times. Yes. Um. I yeah. I mean, I have a lot of thoughts. I'm gonna wait until we get more get some more data about those teams. I I will say that um. As much as I slander Notre Dame, I do feel a little bit bad uh, for Marcus Freeman at this point. I look forward to him beating the living daylights out of whoever they play next. I uh, wouldn't want to be them. Yeah, that might be a rough one. That might be a real rough one. Rough one. But uh, he does at least seem to have a good initial game plan. Uh, they uh, they came out pretty pretty strong in that one. Um, we got to just dive right into it. I, I'm like, <laughs> I'm looking at the quarterback section and I'm not ready. Uh, but. Let's do this. Uh, we're going to talk about the offense. At quarterback, Cade McNamara, 9 for 18, only 136 yards. That's 7.6 yards per attempt. Uh, one touchdown pass, one sack, one pick. Long as 61, but uh, that it was a 61-yard touchdown pass on a bubble screen to Robin Wilson. So it's hard to really give McNamara a lot of credit for that one. He did hit couple passes between the numbers which was nice to see also uh miss some passes <laughs> outside of the numbers which was less nice to see uh, a pretty up and down performance from him in sharp contrast jj mccarthy comes in hits all four of his attempts for 30 yards doesn't take a sack and more importantly uh runs the ball three times for 50 yards and a touchdown just totally opens up the offense it's pretty fun when he's in the game uh we also had uh alan bowman go five for six uh, I think Davis Ward was in the game and took snaps, but he did not throw the football. And uh, we did have an Alex Orgy appearance, uh, which resulted in two carries for four yards. And Robert Griffin III saying there was an Orgy in the end zone. So that's your quarterback wrap up. Uh, <laughs> man, that was the best. That was my favorite part because he started and he was like, I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. And then he immediately said it. And that was like my favorite part that he was like, I'm not going to do it. And he's already said a couple of like 
slightly horny on main things like on the broadcast. He was uncomfortably and, uh, out there. Dirty. They were both out of control. Both of those guys were. Like, and yet not it, nearly as horny as uh, Tim Brando and Spencer Tillman in the in the broadcast booth, apparently. But that is uh, oh another gift for another time. That was, my, that was also wonderful. Yeah. No, week one had week one was like a real like just sexually I was, I was not up expecting week. the spank i really wasn't <laughs> sorry uh, anyway i mean back. R- say what you will about rg3 he is not boring and i always appreciate that so you know i guess i want more of him i think i don't know yeah i mean if you're gonna you know delve into the brent brett musburger creepy zone at least uh be good at calling the game and <laughs> He was relatively good at calling the game and also had a pretty entertaining call on that Alex Orgy touchdown run. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. All right. Quarterback performance. Uh, I, I've kind of mostly said my piece. I think J.J. McCarthy has certainly put himself in position to to take this job. And I don't want to read too much between the lines of uh really anything that anybody says, but it certainly seemed like Jim Harbaugh was uh, pleased with his performance and what he brought to the offense. And and just watching the way that things operated when he was out there, it's it's hard not to not to be pretty excited about what McCarthy can bring to the table. And as long as he's keeping things error free, I think he kind of has to be the quarterback. Uh, Connor, um, I know you're our resident uh, Team Cade guy. Uh, how are you feeling after that one? I mean... That was the big disappointment of this game for me is that, you know, numbers are one thing and Cade's numbers were not great. Um, He was, you know, that pick should have been a pick. Uh, He was lucky. Um, And I I, I mean, and he had some seriously bad throws and I'm famous for this because I've been a longtime Josh Allen defender way before that was cool. And so I'm always the guy saying like a few bad plays, you know, like are are not how you judge players. Like it's full body of evidence. Sometimes you take risks and aren't rewarded, et cetera, et cetera. But it didn't really feel that way with Kate. It wasn't that he was like taking risks and they weren't no. working out. He was just making some bad throws. And I think more importantly, the overall feel, both when he was in the game and on the sideline, was just weirdly shaky and not confident um, relative to what I've seen from him at his best. And that's just very strange given that he is the veteran guy. And that he has started a ton of games, including some very, very high stakes games. It just was strange. It seemed like something was just very off. And I've never seen him look even remotely salty on the sideline before, but he kind of did. And, you know, he was a little bit arguably salty in the presser. And like, you can say it's because he's mad at himself. And that's probably most of what it is because he is a hardcore competitor and all of that. It just was not the vibe I expected to see from him. And so it makes it really hard for me to say to defend him because it's not just it's not just making poor throws. It's the overall feel of like not quite being ready, even though it's a pretty low stakes moment. I don't know. It was strange. Yeah. You got to wonder if maybe the, I mean, he said he's very used to being in quarterback competitions and it's, it's true. I mean, he, he won the job by coming back from the dead and won. Uh, so I don't think he's going to give up or anything, but it was just a very strange, I don't know, a, a strange performance from him and then kind of a strange vibe afterwards. And uh, I don't know with the amount of electricity that JJ McCarthy brought to like the offense and the building, and I don't, I don't know that it, it felt like there was something there that, uh, and I don't know whether McNamara was kind of realizing in the moment that he may be losing his job, but uh, that was kind of the feel of the presser. Uh, would yeah, you agree with, that, would you agree with that, Taylor? <laughs> I would a hundred percent agree with that. Um, I was actually just like pulling up 
um, a little bit of, of the quote because um, he said, I think this is sort of something that I've been dealing with, whatever part it was in my career, whether it was before I played with Joe, Joe Milton, whether it was finally going in, whether it was last season, and now it is this season. I think at this point, or callous made on how to deal with these things. So I think that there are a lot of people, uh, there are a lot of J.J. McCarthy people who are, um, myself being one of them, kind of frothing at the mouth a little bit, hoping <laughs> to see this kid in a little bit more. And, and to... To watch Cade struggle a bit, you know, I think they're just the most extreme of us in the JJ camp were kind of had their priors confirmed um, that kind of Cade is a game manager and isn't going to be the dynamic player. And I I know Jim Harbaugh specifically used the word electric uh, to describe McCarthy. I I just I do feel for I do feel for him. I think that that's not a great position to be in, especially like kind of walking in like. He, he was he's kind of the golden boy that beat Ohio State and finally delivered them that win. Um, but at the same time, a lot of doubts kind of coming from season to season. Like that's got to not be a great position to be. And especially after the game that he had against Georgia in the semifinal, like he can't be coming like, you know, it seems like he came in kind of confident, but not necessarily I would guess the right word is self-assured that even if maybe he is not the most talented player, he kind of knew he was going to be the guy. Um, and McCarthy is kind of walking in and really usurping that a bit. So I, I'm sure, and I think a lot of folks would be in the same position if if we were there. So I try not to be as critical. Obviously, um, I'm messy and live for drama, so I'm having a nice time. Um, and this does make things more exciting in the Michigan football sphere than what it usually is because usually it's like John O'Corn saying he's like ready for the NFL and we're like what are you what are you saying man um but anyway all of this to say I do feel I feel for him there were some nice things like I said Ace I know you pointed out on Twitter like he did use more of the middle of the field um he he did try to do some of the things that I mean like know, to twice. kind of show his game a little yeah, I mean but I mean like I'm trying to be generous um Kind of. Um, and I think that that kind of interception was somewhat on all. It was like a I mean, he fell over. It was a terrible throw. The throw was like, just off. I don't know. He threw it, it right to that guy. I mean, I yeah. I mean, and Taylor, just, like, I, I yeah. didn't look I, confident at all. I appreciate no. that you're telling Cade that you you hear him and you see him. But um, he's not I, listening I to this podcast. So. <laughs> he's well, not. We don't know. We don't. He might be just like seething at us. But um. Yeah, Kate, if you're listening, I do want to defend you, buddy. So please, you know, pick up your level of play. Because for me, it's pretty simple. It's like you gave a very nuanced analysis. But like what it comes down to is a guy that I have seen play well and a guy that I've seen play with a lot of confidence uh, with another offseason of experience under his belt. He came into this game looking not confident, making more mistakes than usual, not even being a good game manager. And it's just very weird to me because that was the last thing I expected to have happen. So yeah. I don't know what's going on. Maybe he's dinged up or something. I mean, it'd be, cl- it'd be classic. I don't Jim know. Harbaugh. I mean, I don't, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. I think we're looking too far into it. I think he had an off game, but I also think that JJ McCarthy is just better. Like yeah. it, it can, it can actually be that simple. And uh, it, I and don't think we a. need to waste that many words on it. So that's, that's completely fair. No, I, I just wanted to be as generous as possible. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. The official bucket problem stance right now, JJ McCarthy is better than Cade McNamara at football. Uh, there we go. That's that's the quarterback competition. He's better. Um, might he make more mistakes in the future? Possibly. But if Cade McNamara isn't pretty much perfect, 
that J.J. McCarthy is the better football player. We move to running back, where there are several good football players, and thankfully it's uh, it's much more acceptable to play uh, a few of them, several snaps, uh, without people getting all pissy at each other. <laughs> um, so, uh, Which is good, because Blake Corham and Donovan Edwards pretty much split things right down the middle. Corham, 13 carries, 76 yards and a touchdown. Edwards, 12 carries, 64 yards and a touchdown. Uh, not much in the receiving game for either of them. There was one nice snag by Corham. Nothing for Edwards uh, because Michigan kind of just wanted to throw to walk on tight ends at this game. Um, so we, the one thing, I mean, I think we do. Corm and Edwards are good. They have both averaged over five yards of carry without breaking a huge one. They were just consistently gaining yardage. Uh, and then CJ Stokes is pretty clearly taking the number three running back job. Six carries for 35 yards for him. Popped an 18 yarder. Uh, looked pretty athletic, quick. Got a little bit of power, um, and he is very clearly passed Tavier Dunlap, who only had one carry in this game. So uh, that's your running back order, Corum, Edwards, and Stokes, uh, with Corum and Edwards as kind of a 1A and 1B situation. And uh, Taylor, um, you have details on a particular play, Corum play. I do, because he hurdled a man, and it ruled. Um, so that that kind of rocked. Uh if you watch the slow motion, like you see him very clearly just like go way over and that it was really awesome. Um, but anyway, um, Edwards and Quorum did um, share the snaps like in a 1A, 1B. Um, Quorum had 13 snaps to Edwards uh, or 13 carries to Edwards 12. So like something like that. Um, it seems like Michigan's offense is going to be doing more of the same in terms of the run game. Um, and obviously McCarthy, uh, who when we look at him as a runner um, is going to open up that run game quite a bit. So that's, that's really um, a nice way to silence the the people who are asking, well, what are they going to do without Hassan Haskins? Um, I think that was pretty easily answered. And this was an area that I think we knew they were going to excel again across the board in this game. We knew they were going to excel, but this was one area where um, I was really, really pleased with the production from both um, the starting backs Stokes and McCarthy being involved in the run game. Yeah, Coram jumping over a guy does a nice job of silencing the people going, uh, what what about losing Haskins? Like, yeah, he exactly. did his thing. He did his thing. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think we have a lot to say about the running backs because they were they were good. Um, Stokes is the number three guy. Uh, other than that, um, I think I think they're going to keep it to Coram and Edwards for the most part with, with a similar kind of carry distribution to what we saw today and obviously the running game opens up with McCarthy in there but we've been talking about that at receiver uh we mentioned Robin Wilson took a bubble screen uh 61 yards he is he's exceptionally fast uh this was the uh the fastest man in Hawaii um and uh apparently they've got some very fast people in Hawaii because uh he he just blew past uh the blocking wasn't even really that relevant on that play um Cornelius Johnson was the most targeted player on the team uh, with six, uh, but only came away with two catches for 19 yards. He was probably the most uh, victimized of the uh, errant throws from from Cade McNamara, who certainly seems to want to go to him, but they just weren't quite clicking there in terms of at least where the ball needed to be. Uh, Otherwise, a lot of tight ends headlined by uh, Eric All having a really nice catch after... uh, being in a hot in a hospital delivery room in the morning, welcoming a child into the world, so that's uh, that's pretty cool. And uh, Connor's dude, Colston Loveland, uh, with two catches for 18 yards, including a 16 yarder where he looked uh, 
looked pretty promising on the run. So, I mean, he's probably going to go. We're probably not going to see much of him after September, but uh, uh, Eric all quite good. Luke Schoonmaker got in there. Uh, Hunter Neff, Matthew Hibner, a lot of tight ends catching passes in this game. And uh, this was a very Harbaugh pass re- distribution. But uh, I don't know if anybody has any actual thoughts on the receivers, but uh, Connor, I will kick it over to you. Yeah, Idaho's finest. No longer a potato, folks. Hey, um, hey, but I'm, uh, <laughs> Colson Loveland, just briefly, like that was only, you know, one catch, but it was just your classic, like Iowa style, like very short. I think it was a curl. Um, but then he, like, you know, moved four guys across the line of scrimmage. That, that dude is a, uh, large, powerful, explosive man. And I think he'll be a star as soon as next year. So that's cool. Um, I think Ace is correct ultimately that the blocking on the Roman Wilson screen wasn't necessarily required for him to score. There was a lot of space there, but it was good, (laughs) but it was good. And I think that everyone noticed, you know, Ronnie bell just like murderated that poor, like, I think it was the boundary corner. Um, like locked that up one was it. relevant. <laughs> yeah, like didn't just didn't just, you know, block him, but like, you know, threw him aside with great violence. <laughs> and uh, and Ronnie Bell's had that rep for a long time uh, of being a great blocker. And he very much is. Um, but I think that that's an interesting play because it, it's one of those things that when you talk about culture, that tends to be very wishy washy. And it often comes down to people that are not in the locker room commenting on things they can't know about. But <laughs> when you see a guy who's supposed to be your number one receiver, um, very selflessly, not just doing what he's told of blocking, but doing it with great intensity and aplomb and relishing the opportunity to do the dirty work and hurling a guy aside. I think that's when you can say that's culture, right? You have a culture among Michigan's receivers where it's like, all right, Roman's getting the ball. I'm going to do everything in my power, even in this like easy season opener game, everything in my power to, to you know help Roman out, help the offense out, and I'm going to do it with relish. That's culture, and it's cool to see. Yeah, Michigan did not lack for enthusiasm in this game and uh the areas you want to see. Uh we'll get to the defense and, and special teams and uh Michigan hitting uh a lot later, but uh I mean they were certainly making a lot of effort plays and it was and this was a fun game to watch from uh uh just you know if you're gonna have to watch a game against a really crappy team, then you wanna see the team at least go all out on it. And uh they did that. I agree. I I would say that I I don't think we necessarily learned anything about the receivers as receivers aside from uh, Roman Wilson is fast uh, just because it is really hard to evaluate kind of the receiving game when um, like everyone's catching passes, I believe 15 people caught the ball. Um, So that's just kind of like where I sit with that. It's just really hard to, to figure out like what that passing game actually looks like when, yeah, when everyone's when it's like a not just by committee, like what kind of we anticipated, but like by a huge committee of everyone catching the ball. So I think there'll there'll be more to see in the coming games. So nothing to uh, really I wouldn't necessarily about. say for the next two. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll find out. Uh, okay, all right, fair. That's that's a strong point. I think this is pretty much what we're gonna see for three weeks, but we'll see. Uh, maybe they'll start throwing some deep shots at some point just to see. Uh, the quarterbacks do that in a game setting. That was kind of the one thing that was missing from this one was uh, some actual yeah, downfield throws. <laughs> I agree with that. Yeah, that's that's kind of, I think, what I'm trying to get to, too. It's like you don't really get you didn't really get to see that um, because that is another aspect of of the quarterback battle that that we that it, it, it hangs over all of this talk of the offense like a cloud, I think um, that. You, you need to see them throw a deep ball and throw it accurately a couple times. Yeah. 
up front, Ryan Hayes sat out with an injury, which was kind of the traditional preseason uh, injury that comes out of nowhere. And you find out when they uh, come out for warmups and they're not on the field. Uh, haven't seen any further details on that. I don't think it's major, but uh, don't hold me to it. Uh, Carson Barnhart started at left tackle in his place because he backs up, I think, every position on the offensive line except maybe center. And uh, he looked pretty good, then got dinged up. So Michigan moved Trevor Keegan out there. They also had Giovanni Helhadi in there at left tackle for a little bit with the starters. And no matter what combination they had out there, they were they were moving guys in Colorado State. It looked pretty good. There was one moment where Trente Jones got beat on the edge by a pretty quality pass rusher, uh, albeit a group of five pass rusher. Uh, but, uh, I mean, Kamara's... A legitimately good player, but uh, that also was not a, a great pass set from Jones. But other than that, kept a pretty clean sheet, moved guys in the right game. I thought Oluwatimi looked quite good at center, both in terms of just being a guy who can really push people around and also pretty mobile on the on the hoof uh, on his pulls. So uh, again, you, you say we can't learn a lot considering the quality of competition, but they certainly past the tests that you'd want to see them pass. Uh, there was not a lot of pressure on the quarterbacks. Uh, the one mistake was an individual error and not some like holistic line fuck up. So but th- I think it was a pretty, pretty solid day for them overall. Yeah, they were gelling pretty well. I would also shout out Zinter's really nice blocking for that one quorum touchdown. Um, so the entire, the entire offensive line is as good as we thought they would be. Like there's really no change to that. Um, Obviously, you want to keep an eye on the Hayes situation because um, Barnhart can can pretty much cover every position. But from my understanding, left tackle, like he's specifically mentioned as either guard position or right tackle. So he has played quite a bit of left tackle. So I'm not really sure um, like if it's that big of a deal. Um, but that's just something to keep an eye on is that I don't necessarily know how much of a how good Barnhart is at left tackle. And it that might, is Barnhart it might have been a little telling week. that Keegan got kicked out the left tackle at one point. I think they're, yeah. uh, they're not totally comfortable there. Yeah. Um, and I, I believe he did play quite a few snaps at left tackle last year, but again, mm, I, it's not exactly where you want him, even though he is kind of like your reserve guy. Um, yeah. Sorry. I know a lot about Carson Barnhart. Yeah. That has been, that has been Taylor's off season beat, but I think, uh, you know, this if Ryan Hayes is hurt, he's got a few weeks to come back. And if I, I, I mean, if he's not even if he's even at like ninety five percent, then you probably hold him out of this game. So especially with his experience, so I assume Michigan right. is being uh, very careful with a couple injuries. There was also Nikai Hill Green on defense. That was one that we had actually uh, heard a little bit about heading into this game. And sounded like a one or two week thing. So mm-hmm. no major injury concerns as of yet. Um, knock on wood on, on that one and uh, keep your fingers crossed and all of that, uh, all that stuff. Uh, overall, uh, I mean, we've said it several times with the offense. Michigan didn't have to show much. Uh, they still had a pretty cohesive offensive game plan, at least. And obviously, when uh, McCarthy is in there, they're able to do a lot of different stuff in the running game. Uh, the, the Colorado State linebackers were just an absolute hell <laughs> in the running game when McCarthy all of a sudden provided a, a keep threat. Uh, that that just was not something that they uh, could really hold down. Um, but uh, I don't know, like Connor, uh, you've got some feelings about the uh, 
uh, about the game plan. I know Michigan had a document for this game that they distributed and told the players was a game plan. But like what I appreciate about this is that they clearly didn't actually have a game plan tailored to Colorado State because they knew they could just experiment and try stuff out. And, um, you know, that's what we saw. And that's what you want to see from an elite team playing a crappy team. So, hey. Yeah. No, it was it was a series of plays. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Taylor, any any thoughts on the uh, overall offensive approach? Um, I think, again, it's everyone is looking toward November, especially with this schedule, especially with these first couple of games. Um, And I think we know who can best approach the defense that we will likely see at the end of November. And I will leave it at that. All right. And uh, we're going to talk about some more things relevant to that game on the other side of the break. But first, promo code me the midfield for 15% off your first order from homefieldapparel.com. I am currently wearing um, the old timey Michigan lettering uh, blue crew neck over a uh, over a Clemson shirt. I had to check. Um, Again, I just close my eyes when I dress myself these days. It's all home field, so it all works. Um, and that's why you should that's why you should just get all your clothes from home field so you can just blindly reach into your dresser and uh, come out looking sharp. Um, you might want to check colors afterwards, but I'm spending today at home, so you know, whatever. Promo code me to midfield for fifteen percent off your first order from homefieldbarrel.com. Whatever. They should uh they should ask me for taglines. Uh, download the PointsBet app and use the promo code BucketProp to get 100% of your deposit match up to $1,000 in the form of free bets. To get that bonus, though, you must use the pro- promo code BucketProp. That is Bucket, P-R-O-B, all one word. Man, I haven't stumbled on this one in a while. Please gamble responsibly. Set limits. Avoid chasing losses. Never bet when you can't afford to lose. Take breaks when you need it. And use the self-exclusion feature to stop yourself from betting. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, the defense. We are just going to talk about this right off the top. Michigan had seven sacks credited across nine players. There was also half a team sack listed there. I don't even know how you do that. I assume that's when this, there are like six guys hitting in the quarterback at once, and I don't know who to give it to. Um, so, yeah, half a team sack ended up in there, um, which feels correct because they were really swarming the quarterback. And as kind of a... a a representation of what this Jesse Mentor defense is going to look like now that Michigan does not have two first-round edge rushers. Every level of the defense got a sack. Mazzie Smith, Chris Jenkins, and Mason Graham all got sacks from the interior. Yabi Anoma and Jalen Harrell did it off the edge. Michael Barrett got one from inside linebacker. Rod Moore and R.J. Moten did it for the safety position. And Mike Sainra still got one from nickel. And all but one sack came on third or fourth down. Michigan is going to be a passing down nightmare with these packages. And uh, I, I I like it. Um, Connor, uh, you have you have feelings about Jesse Minter and uh, whether or not he is Mike McDonald. Yeah, I think in this house, uh, on this pod, we believe that Jesse Minter is Mike McDonald with some very tasteful stubble. It, um, it, it might have just been that Mike McDonald grew out some stubble and was on the sideline for some week one. Uh, I hope I hope that's not the case because he has some obligations elsewhere, but. He's one of those remote workers that are two-timing their companies, uh, the companies <laughs> being the Baltimore Ravens and Michigan football. Um, but yeah, just very briefly, I I actually am a big believer in this guy. And it's like, like Ace said, they're already showing that they can run a lot of different stuff and they're running it really sharply. And uh, we might have struck gold again. Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly helps that he's coming from the same system, recommended by the same guy. Um, and that guy is the coach's brother. 
So, uh, and he's also a very, very good NFL head coach. Hopefully that all holds. Um, all right. On the interior of the defensive line, the depth chart was as expected. We had Mozzie Smith at nose tackle. Uh, Chris Jenkins was got the second most uh, snaps at DT. Mason Graham, the true freshman, was uh, the other starter and uh, was also playing plenty of nickel DT, uh, but also down there in, I don't know how often Michigan showed three down linemen, but he played a fair amount, uh, and I thought both those guys played well. S- Smith looked awesome. <laughs> Colorado State had no idea what to do with that guy. Um, I mean, I thought Rayshon Benny looked pretty good, and Cam Good played all right, but there was just, a, I mean, when Mazzy Smith was in, Mazzy Smith was in there, there was, a, it was very easy to tell when he was in the football game because uh, he was usually occupying a couple blockers and also making their life uh, pretty difficult. And a lot of these sacks came with the pocket getting pushed. Um, so I, I, I thought this was, a, you know, considering Colorado State also could not run the ball, uh, a pretty darn good opening day performance. Uh, yeah, I just want to briefly say um, I believe that I said there was going to be interior pass rush. There was. I know it's a terrible, terrible offensive line. Um, <laughs> but I think you'll see some of that against better teams. That's my prediction. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of mean in week one to break out a bunch of uh, blitz packages that would require an offensive line with multiple transfers to uh, do on-the-fly pass protection blitz pickups that were not going to be particularly easy with guys dropping dropping out of gaps. And uh, yeah, they, they did not get all of them, to say the least. Uh, meanwhile, on the edge, uh, it was actually kind of a surprise that Michigan only had two players get sacks off the edge. One of them was five-star transfer Iabi Anoma on, I believe, his very first sack as a Michigan Wolverine. Uh, and he looked impressive uh, physically. He looked like he very much belongs on that Michigan defense. And Jalen Harrell also had a nice game. A little bit of a quiet one from Taylor Upshaw, I would say. But otherwise, uh, I mean, we saw Braden McGregor get in there. We saw Derek Moore get in there. And and those guys were popping. And uh, it, it looks like, for the fears that Michigan would not have an impact pass rusher that might actually have like two or three. Yeah. I, I just want to note here briefly, like, so the, the play that Anoma did, it was pretty straightforward and that he was kind of able just to surge forward and hit the quarterback. But to do that, he did have to like, you know, he immediately just ran right by uh, the right tackle. And then he just, you know, casually shoved the running back out of the way. <laughs> like, he looked very strong. <laughs> yeah. Both fast and strong. And like, there was not much technique, but like his, his raw athletic talents were extremely obvious um and i just want to say it was a little bit silly that some people were like this guy you know he's not going to see the field he might be ready next year like there were a lot of very oh silly things that were said and like i he's already he come here to not that. play yeah like he's already like he's not he's not proven that he's going to be a superstar but he has proven that he can contribute i would say yeah i think we'll see plenty of him i think we'll also see plenty of Derek moore because i kept getting confused between the two which is really remarkable considering anoma has been out of high school for four years now and Derek moore is a true freshman uh but they wear similar numbers and moore uh, physically does not look like a freshman in any way shape or form and he was getting rotational snaps early i think i think he's somebody who the coaches really like uh, I haven't mentioned Mike Morris yet. He was he was really darn good against the run. Uh, it, it's just hard to handle that guy on the edge. And uh, there were some times when Colorado State was trying to do some, you know, beating Michigan with screens or uh, quick hitting stuff uh, towards the edge. And, and there was just nothing doing out there. So um, 
it was this was an encouraging performance from I, th- I think the uh, the unit we were most concerned about. And if it wasn't that one, the unit we were most concerned about was inside linebacker. And they were also excellent. Uh, Junior Colson had one of, I mean, yes, competition caveats, but one of his best games as a Wolverine. I thought he was more solid in his play while also still making the uh, eye-popping athletic plays sideline to sideline that we saw from him last year. Michael Barrett was very impactful in the second half. Uh, Kalel Mullings was a little quiet uh, in uh, in Nikai Hill Greenstead, but that's not necessarily bad. I didn't see him losing gaps or anything. And again, looking at the rushing numbers, it's hard to think that the linebackers had a bad day. Uh, and I also caught Jimmy Rolder, uh, the true freshman, just like, I don't I didn't necessarily see him make any like real football plays, but I saw him like run into the pile a couple times at the end of plays, just really move some people. So I think he's pretty strong for a freshman. Uh, this is a very inexact way of uh, gauging that, but uh, he's he's a good uh, after the play pile mover. So he's he's got that going. Uh, Taylor, um, I think you have some further thoughts on on Junior Colson. Yeah, I think that this is the the exact kind of game that you would want to see from him, especially kind of stepping up into a role like this and kind of um, being someone I know we specifically had thought might be kind of a breakout guy. Uh, It does make me more slightly comfortable with him in that sort of like leading role, I guess. Uh, And it does make me feel a little bit more comfortable with what the middle of the field is going to look like. Um, Obviously, Nikai Hill Green's injury is is kind of um, concerning, um, but Mullings like no news is good news I think on that front um and it's good that he got the playing time so I think the depth questions I have aside again this is a fine time to have depth questions because hopefully everyone will be healthy by then um but Colson did a really nice job in stepping up and kind of keeping that area secure um so I'm not specifically like at this point as worried as I thought I would be um because I definitely was a bit low on the defense kind of throughout our preview process and thinking uh, of how we were going to get to these through these first few games yeah, I mean, having Michael Barrett in there as your third linebacker really makes things uh, a lot more solid, especially if Kalel Mullings is, in fact, in front of him. Over at Nickel, we got more uh, encouragement. I mean, like Sandra still, I did not, I, I thought he would be, you know, a, a decent cover guy, and I was really just had no idea what to expect of him playing in the box. And he not only looked good on his sack, but he was pretty strong in run support he had three solo tackles and one of them was a tackle for loss um we didn't see as much of the other uh other nickel options as i would have expected because sandra still uh, i think the hype was not overblown in this case uh we will find out how it holds up against other teams but in general the run support from the secondary looked really good and sandra still was a big part of that that he seems to be a guy who plays bigger than his size and uh, Michigan might have found their their nickel. Yes, this is good. Um, I, I think I'm. I would like to formally apologize. I know I said I wasn't going to apologize for things earlier. I am going to apologize this time uh, for ever doubting our short king Mike Singer. Still, uh, I do think that you know a lot of times the things that come out of camp, um, especially at Michigan, are sometimes a little bit absurd um, or a little bit um, wild. Uh, when, when you think of some of the things, some of the camp quotes, um, for like four, four times out of five, it's like, you know, 
harp on naming every single tight end on the depth chart and you're like where is this going my friend um but in this case kind of the hype around Sanger still um starting back in spring when he when he first switched positions and had started to get those reps um, right around the spring game then through summer you kind of and I think we even said it too like we were kind of like oh yeah like this is maybe the kind of thing where we like hype him up a little bit and then he kind of disappears after September I don't really think that's the case I think he was actually very very good um and again this is an area where you expected to see really good things out of um, out of Michigan playing a team like Colorado State, but this was a, a a very pleasant bright spot for me because, you know, I didn't really know what to expect. He's also not a true freshman. He has experience on the field, just not on this side of the field. And I think he handled that with a lot of ease. I never doubted a short game. <laughs> Thank you, Connor. <laughs> uh, cornerback, not tested us very much especially since uh, Colorado State could not drop back and have a clean pocket maintained for more than about half a second uh most notable event here other than DJ Turner returning a fumble for a touchdown which is cool but uh it's not super relevant to projecting this team going forward uh other than uh Mike Morris is good uh he was the one who forced it um Will Johnson got beat on a deep ball for a touchdown i still really liked his instinct to try to shove the receiver out of the back of the end zone. And I would have actually been curious to see a replay review there, but um, they're not going to do that in the 51 to seven game. He also had a good punch through on a potential catch on the sideline to help force an incompletion. So, I mean, he looks very athletic, you know, hopefully he doesn't get burned too often, but otherwise, not a lot seemed to be open downfield. There also just was not any time to get passes off. So we'll see how much was relevant, but Michigan recorded uh, zero pass breakups in this game because it just didn't really need to happen. Yeah. I, I mean, the Will Johnson thing, like this is just a great case in point for how I view like data about players and football, because is it noteworthy that he, he is, you know, still a, he's a true freshman. It's his first college game. And even though Colorado State does not have great receivers, they're still, you know, faster than the guys he was playing in high school at Gross Point. Um, you know, like, yeah, he got beaten. It just, it, it, it doesn't mean very much. He's going to hear about it all week from Clink. He'll be mad at himself about it all week. He'll probably be better next game. Um, it's the kind of thing that doesn't tell you much. Uh, you know, get your get your lumps in now, rookie. Yeah, it's yeah, really I the agree. only thing that concerns you if it happens repeatedly. Yeah, he's got, he's got until, like, the Maryland game for me to not be concerned about these. Um, this is just kind of freshman slash new starter jitters. I think Trente Jones was a great example of that too. Um, looking at the other side of the ball. Um, I, if, if we're really truly. Back <laughs> <laughs> apparently I, you can't count that against him because he, he's not new. Uh, but Jones and Johnson were kind of like two where you could kind of see a little bit of that inexperience um, uh, because those those are two parts of Colorado State's team that uh, aren't bad. So to see them get beat specifically by Horton and um, Kamara respectively doesn't really give me that much pause because those are, those are two probably two of their most legitimate threats um, in the um, 
in what Colorado State was able to Those do. Those are like two the of their like five power five quality players. <laughs> yes, that's yeah, the, actually, yeah, and that's it. I think that is worth saying briefly is that like Michigan is playing three very bad non-conference opponents, but Colorado State seems to be by far the best. And they did have guys on their team that would start for most Big Ten teams like that Francis kid and Kamara on defense for two that were obvious. I bring this up only to make the point that like once again, the data from this game that is encouraging for Michigan is not useless. It means something. Yeah, no, we'll take um and they Colorado State, you know, they are installing a new system, but they also look much better coached under Jay Norvell. And that is to be expected when you replace Steve Adazio with Jay Norvell or really any competent <laughs> football coach. Yeah. Uh, over at safety, uh, Rod Moore and RJ Moten are your your top two. Uh, they both made sacks, as uh, we mentioned earlier, uh, got in plays around the line of scrimmage. Nothing to hit over the top except for the play that was very clearly on Will Johnson. So nothing to be concerned about really in the back end. Makari Page uh, looks to be your number three safety and somebody who they're going to be comfortable throwing in the slot a little bit, also having him play out in space. But um, yeah, this was uh, nothing particularly unexpected. I I can't say I was able to see a whole lot of what was going on back there because uh, this was a television broadcast and not in all 22. Uh, And also, uh, again, seven sacks. I'm like, (laughs) this, this was not a good day for evaluating the secondary. Uh, but, uh, Rod Moore comes up and tackles hard and that's fun to watch. So, uh, that part's cool. And he, and he picked off, he, he's capable of picking off, uh, ducks. So yeah, there, I there mean, was that. yeah, that pick was not like, you know, Oh, how did he do that? It was <laughs> just lofted up there and he went and got it. I will say though, having seen a lot of good Michigan defensive backs drop interceptions, the fact that he like slowed down, made sure he caught it, like, you know, points for all of that. Briefly, I want to say, I think Rod Moore is going to be on one of the all big 10 teams, um, at the very least, I think he's an absolutely sick player. And I think specifically he has that X factor that is super important um, for safeties in particular, where it just seems like as soon as he hit the ground at Michigan as a true freshman, he, his ability to read the situation on the field very quickly and make the right decision has always been excellent. And that is kind of what makes you know safeties go from good to great. So I, I expect big things from him. Yeah, he uh, he is very fast to get to plays he and that's just it's hard to teach quick decision making and instinct instinctual decision making on defense and i mean you can teach guys but um only so many players can just internalize things as quickly as rod moore appears to be doing um taylor any any big thoughts on the secondary yeah i think as a whole um i am again small sample size cautiously optimistic about michigan's um ability to capitalize on those turnovers because last season they could not um i believe in the secondary what they had they had eight total um interceptions which was pretty low compared to kind of the rest of the country so you really wanted to see them capitalize on that a bit more i think so far i feel good about that obviously turner's was a scoop and score it wasn't necessarily that he got a pick um and moore's interception again was not anything like spectacular or like how did how did that happen what oh my god um but that is another talking point um from camp that they're doing right by i think that uh you know you're seeing the the defensive plan again to connor's point about minter maybe being that dude uh again is a really good thing because if that is kind of the plan that they want to be a more turnover centric offense or be able to capitalize on those turn um those turnovers make more out of them, um, whether it's good field position or scores. I think that we are in a much 
better place tentatively um, than we were last season. So I feel good about that. And I feel good about the way that the secondary with the very little few opportunities they saw being able to kind of do what we needed them to. So again, I, I overall think that we saw so much more interesting out of the defense and the offense in this game. Um, And again, to Connor's point, it's not necessarily Colorado state could potentially be a bowl, could be a bowl. Uh, Let's not go that tentatively, tentatively, (laughs) like they could be a five and seven, six and six. I think that that they're fringe if they can get it together. Again, they're kind of Frankenstein together out of like kind of bits and pieces. I don't want to mislead what... people about this team. I really don't. <laughs> I think good. they're okay. I said I think they're okay. They have pieces. Whether or not Norvell can put those together is another story. The only thing um, I'll say in your defense, Taylor, is I think the Mountain West is pretty bad this year. So who knows what can happen? But yeah. I also hear that's fair. Fine. <laughs> All right, special teams. I, that's fine. Special teams were. I mean, I, the most notable thing was definitely them showing uh, Brad Robbins. But <laughs> other than that, um, auto kicking was fine. Heading AJ Fanning yielded a punt in the air and returned to ten yards, which is encouraging to see. And otherwise, uh, Michigan didn't have a single. Uh, Michigan had one kickoff return, I guess, from uh, a walk on. But otherwise, very little of note on special teams. Other than uh, uh, who wants to get in there, Brad Robbins joke first. <laughs> Um, I just want, I want uh, whatever NIL deal will let me go up in uh, Brad Robbins's steam-powered Zeppelin. There so we go. Someone set that up for me. Uh, he needed a little monocle. Like he looked like if you gave him a little monocle and a little top hat, he would look like Mister Monopoly, and he would tell you to go to jail. Uh, don't pass go. Don't don't collect two hundred dollars. Uh, why why is a young man like? What is he doing with that handlebar mustache? Good for you. He looks Brad great. Robinson. He looks he's great. Gonna, he's going to join a bare knuckle boxing league and, uh, <laughs> and, and fight backhand, uh, you know, like they did in like 1870. I'm, I'm, I'm ready for that. I'm excited. He's like circling his fists like an old fashioned, like, oh, yeah. yeah, like 1800s boxer. Oh, my uh, God. After lifting up one of those uh, barbells that actually has just like the two huge circles on each side and then the bar connecting the middle. It's, it's, it's fantastic. I let, we're all in the bag for Brad Robbins right now. Uh, <laughs> and uh, meanwhile, Michigan, uh, the best kicker in the country continues to be such. He hit threes. So uh, they were no doubters. None of them were also longer than 34 yards. So, uh, but uh, seven touchbacks on eight kickoffs is also pretty good for Jake Moody. Yeah. It's all good. All right. Big picture. Um, I think we've kind of hinted at our uh, thoughts on this, but did this game change our outlook for the season at all? Uh, Connor? No, I mean, not even a little bit. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I I think you guys know my position. I'm just going to say it again. I think Michigan is good. I think they're serious contenders for the Big Ten and for the CFP. And if anything, this week only made me feel better about that. So I guess that's good. Yeah, it's worth noting that Connor's baseline was resident optimist of this entire podcast. So that that also helps uh, contextualize that. Uh, Taylor, um, you have a broader context in which you felt good about Michigan. I do too. And I will say my Colorado State take, I might be I might be more of an optimist than Connor at this point. Uh anyway, uh I think just looking around the Big Ten, uh it consider the Big Ten like Disney World, um, just being real Mickey Mouse. And then Michigan and Ohio State are like the two good rides at Disney. Like Space Mountain and maybe like the Tower of Terror. I don't know what I haven't been to Disney in a very long it's time and I don't really wild. like rides. 
uh, I'm just thinking like if they're, they're like the two good rides at Disney where everything else is like, it's a small world. Um, Who's the teacups in this league? Who who, who just makes you, who just spins you around and makes you want to vomit while having a real bad time? Nebraska. Yes. That is, that is Nebraska is the teacups. That is, that is absolutely it. Oh God. I'm so uh, sorry. They are. Uh, yeah. But uh, whatever. I, I don't know. Michigan uh, state is a, a concession. Michigan state's a concession line. You have to wait in for like an hour and a half and just get really pissed off the whole time. And you're really mad when you finally get your hot dog. Anyway, we'll and like and like no and like the pretzels like misshapen and you're like ah like this is supposed to be shaped like Mickey Mouse and it's like all flat and weird and and it doesn't look right. Anyway, Iowa uh, is the hall of presidents because you're here and you're like we're at an amusement park. What the fuck is this? Why are we doing this? This is a garbage history lesson. And they're Kirk like Ferentz all talking. Dressed. Rick Ferentz is dressed as like Herbert Hoover. And you're like, what? <laughs> he would. He, he absolutely would. Um, oh no! Yeah, uh, that was just my point. I mean, honestly, like, leave us a five star review, and you should tell us <laughs> what what rides are good at Disney because I actually don't know. Like, I, I don't plan on going back. This um, is the first time I felt bad about my lack of Disney knowledge. <laughs> I, we're not Disney adults on this podcast. It's the no. official stance. Uh, we're missing hardcore Disney adult Dan, who uh, is not <laughs> well. Here, he's a Disney child. But- Disney, Disney He's child. actually yeah, Dan, a Mickey Mouse kid. <laughs> Dan walks around Disney all the time with his giant lollipop and his dinosaur shorts. <laughs> and uh, his Mickey uh, Mouse ears. Oh, man. <laughs> While accusing Ryan Day of running a Mickey Mouse offense. It's very hypocritical. <laughs> oh, Dan. You can get me one of these days when I'm not here, man. <laughs> it's just going to be a full premium bot of Dan just like screaming at us for calling him a Disney adult. Uh, yeah, that we're scheduling that for Thursday, I think. <laughs> Stay tuned, folks. Um, that I think is all we have for week one because, uh, yeah, we might be running through these uh free pods at a relatively brisk pace these first few weeks because uh, these teams are bad. These teams are bad, folks. I know, I know Taylor's got some belief in these in in these Rams. I think part of it I'm is trying the to jerseys, make them, I'm trying they're very to make aesthetically pleasing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and we're trying to you know shine up. Uh, something or other here and uh you know and that something or other is michigan's turd of a non-conference schedule <laughs> uh, and there's only so much we can do to to change it but in terms of encouraging signs I, I think we got a lot of them in week one and given the opponent really all you could ask for was encouraging signs at positions of uncertainty and not making any major errors or coming away with any major injuries. I think we're all good on that front. So that was a good week one follow at bucket problem and at meet at midfield on Twitter, sign up for me to midfield.com rate review and subscribe this year, free podcast and use the promo code me at midfield at home field and the promo code bucket prob on points. But thank you for listening and have a great week.